I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotel's family of 22 brands has over 7,400 locations and the perfect hotel for any traveler you want to be. Like a Cambria Hotel serving up locally inspired craft cocktails for all my folks who maybe want to meet up and talk about Mad Royals. Check into a Radisson Hotel with flexible workspaces for you strivers who listen during business travel. Or a Comfort Hotel with free hot breakfast, family-friendly pools, and big spacious rooms for the parents who listen with their kids and need a little retreat. What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And not just the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy B. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. Today, we are going to talk about a protest that took place in 1956 in Pretoria, South Africa. This was a protest against pass laws that were part of South Africa's system of apartheid, and specifically the requirement that women carry passes. So this protest was simultaneously part of the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa and also the movement for women's rights. It's been quite a while since we've talked about apartheid on this show, so we're going to start with some of that context. And to be clear... This involves centuries of South African history, so it is not going to be a comprehensive look at all of this. Uh, It is an overview that's meant to give folks who aren't familiar a sense of how the system of apartheid evolved, especially as it related to these past laws. Uh, Also, for a lot of the time that we're talking about, laws in South Africa separated its population into four groups. There was European or white Black, which at various points was described using terms like native and Bantu, colored or multiracial, and Indian. And Indian was a catch-all term describing basically anyone from Southeast Asia. Unless we are using the proper names of things like organizations or laws or quoted material, just for the sake of simplicity, we're going to stick with the terms white, black, multiracial, and Asian rather than drawing from this more dated terminology. 
The British and the Dutch each started trying to establish settlements and garrisons in southern Africa in the 17th century. European control of the area passed back and forth between Britain and the Dutch East India Company until the early 19th century at the start of the Napoleonic Wars, when Britain re-annexed South Africa to keep it from falling into the hands of the French. British efforts at colonization expanded really rapidly from there, and this led to intense conflict between Britain and the region's many African nations and peoples, The British really envisioned the society they were establishing in Southern Africa as one that was for Europeans only. So the British army forced the area's African nations and peoples off of their lands in a series of attacks and wars. There was also conflict between British colonists and the Boers, or people with Dutch, German, and Huguenot ancestry. As Britain established a larger and larger presence in South Africa, English replaced Dutch as the dominant European language. British currency also replaced Dutch currency. And of course, many Boers found this shift away from their predominantly Dutch origins threatening. Britain also outlawed slavery in 1834, which prompted many Boers to try to move to areas outside of British control so they could retain their enslaved labor. Eventually, the Boers established the Orange Free State and the South African Republic, also known as Transvaal, leaving Britain in control of the Cape of Good Hope colony and the colony of Natal. In each of these colonies, white governments took steps to try to control and restrict the movements of the local Black population, including through systems of discrimination and segregation. Starting in 1856, each of the four colonies passed laws that were known as the Masters and Servants Acts. These laws criminalized things like going on strike and breaking employment contracts, and while they theoretically applied to anyone who was employed, in practice they were mostly enforced only for Black people. Diamonds were discovered in Kimberley in 1867, leading to a huge rush to the area and to De Beers claiming a monopoly on the South African diamond trade. As part of this, the colonies tried to annex even more land and to consolidate neighboring states, further reducing the amount of land the Black population of South Africa was allowed to access and to live on. The discovery of diamonds also led to a huge disruption among many African communities as there was a demand for men to work in the mines, leaving women to continue caring for their families while also picking up the agricultural work that was necessary to sustain them. In 1893, the Orange Free State instituted a pass system. Passes were essentially internal passports that were necessary to move around within the state, but they were required only for the state's Black population. And protests against these passes started as soon as they were introduced. Requiring only Black people to carry identification documents was discriminatory and insulting, and because the passes were legally mandated, they also provided an easy excuse for white authorities to hassle people of color. Another law passed in the Orange Free State in 1907 established a requirement that Black domestic workers carry a service book which detailed exactly where they worked, and it had to be carried at all times. If a person was caught without their service book three times, they could be ejected from the town where they lived. The South African War, also called the Second Boer War, had taken place roughly alongside all of this, starting in 1899 and ending in 1902. 
This war was between Britain and the Boer colonies of the South African Republic and the Orange Free State. The British had promoted the idea of equal laws and equal liberty, so many Black South Africans sided with Britain in this conflict, hoping to have a more just and equitable existence once the war was over. Instead, an all-white delegation held a series of meetings in 1908 and 1909, which led to the South Africa Act. This was an act that united the four colonies under an all-white government. With the exception of Black and multiracial people who met specific wealth requirements, only white people had the right to vote. And the few members of parliament who were supposed to represent the interests of South Africa's Black population were appointed, not elected. Only about a fifth of the population of South Africa was white, so this left the vast majority of people living in South Africa with no representation in the government and no direct involvement in the political process. Black South Africans held a convention as these constitutional meetings were being held, but it wasn't officially recognized and it had no formal political power. At the same time, after the Union of South Africa went into effect in 1910, it did seem like some progress toward equality might be more possible than it was before, particularly in terms of the Orange Free State's pass laws. People had already been protesting and circulating petitions to try to have the pass laws overturned. But now the petitions could be delivered to Prime Minister Louis Botha rather than the government of the Orange Free State. In March of 1912, a group of Black and multiracial women from Orange Free State took a petition containing at least 5,000 signatures to the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister didn't respond to this petition, so a group of women instead appealed to Henry Burton, Minister of Native Affairs. Burton had a reputation for trying to protect people of color in South Africa, but he seems to have been reluctant to weigh in on this, The so-called native question had been threaded through the efforts to establish a minority white government in a region where white people were a tiny percentage of the population. And the government taking action on the Orange Free State's past laws had the potential to just turn one province's laws into a much more national issue. So he argued that the past books were a local issue that needed to be handled within the province, not something to be handled by the South African government. If Burton was hoping to avoid the development of a national movement against discrimination in South Africa, that did not work. The South African National Native Congress was formed in 1912, and it became the African National Congress, or ANC, in 1923. We'll get some more about how this developed after a sponsor break. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs, and if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode, hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business, and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. 
And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels has a stay for any traveler you want to be with 22 brands and over 7,400 locations. Whether you're a business traveler, a family road tripper, someone who wants to seek out history and maybe make your own, or just planning a quick getaway, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Like a Cambria Hotel, where you can be a cocktail connoisseur and sip locally inspired craft beverages at downtown locations in the center of it all. This is a fun way to visit cities with a lot of history and a lot of fun in mind. Or a Radisson Hotel for all our productivity powerhouses out there. With flexible workspaces and on-site restaurants, you'll get the most out of your work trip. You'll get the coffee, the Wi-Fi, and the work done. And we can't forget about comfort hotels. Imagine you're a family road tripper, waking up in your big spacious room and then heading down to a free hot breakfast for the entire family, including waffles. So you'll be well-fed and ready for the day's adventure, even if that's just relaxing. After that, you're spending all afternoon relaxing by the pool. You deserve it. What are you waiting for? Join Choice privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you. Book directly at choicehotels.com where travels come true. Say goodbye to complicated, expensive, and uncertain shipping and say hello to an advantage with USPS Ground Advantage shipping from the United States Postal Service. Every business faces challenges, but shipping shouldn't be one of them. So keep things simple with clear, upfront pricing. And no unexpected surcharges for Saturday deliveries, residential deliveries, or fuel. Keep things affordable with some of the lowest prices out there, helping you counter the rising costs of doing business with a budget-friendly alternative. And keep things reliable with on-time ground shipping, ensuring your shipments get to where they need to go while maintaining your hard-earned reputation. USPS Ground Advantage is your ticket to easy, cost-effective, and dependable shipping. It's the complete delivery service your business needs to rise above the competition. There's never been a better time to turn shipping to your advantage. Learn how at usps.com advantage. USPS Ground Advantage. Simple, affordable, reliable. We're focused mainly on past laws in today's episode, but they were, of course, by far not the only laws that contributed to the apartheid system that developed in South Africa. As European colonies grew and expanded their influence, the non-white population of South Africa was increasingly forced into smaller and smaller areas of land. Eventually, this evolved into the formal establishment of segregated communities, which were the only places that people of color were allowed to live. For example, in the 19-teens, people who tried to move out of rural areas in the Orange Free State 
mostly wound up in Vihook location, outside of the free state capital of Bloemfontein. White authorities tried to implement a pass system to control people's movements into and out of Vihook. They also targeted Black women specifically, claiming that Black women were engaging in sex work. Some Black women had also started supporting themselves by brewing and selling beer, which white authorities claimed was damaging society. In May of 1913, a civil disobedience campaign started in the Orange Free State. People started refusing to carry passes and just saying they were prepared to be arrested. Women gathered and tore up or burned their passes outside of government buildings. A cycle of demonstrations and arrests went on all through 1913. In 1914, the Prime Minister finally agreed to review Orange Free State's pass laws. But they remained on the books until 1918, with protests and demonstrations against them going on at various points throughout those years. Although the idea of mandatory passes faded from the forefront, other discriminatory laws were passed over the following years. The Natives Urban Areas Act of 1923 gave local authorities the right to establish segregated areas on the outskirts of cities and industrial areas and to force Black people to move into those areas. Cities or employers were expected to provide housing in these areas, but money to maintain that housing also came from things like fines and rent that were charged to the people who were forced to live there. In 1927, the law in South Africa effectively treated Black women as minors rather than as full adults with any sort of legal authority. By 1930, only 13% of the land area in South Africa was open for Black people to live on. For context, by that point, South Africa had a Black population of about 20 million people and a white population of about 4 million people. So those roughly one-fifth of the population had control of 87% of the land. The quality of the land was part of it, too. The reserves that were designated for Black people were generally the poorest land, with access to the fewest resources. Prior to the 1930s, most domestic workers in South Africa had been men, but by the mid-30s, that started to shift. More women started traveling or moving to cities, some just looking for work, others trying to reunite with husbands or other family members who had done the same. Cities and provincial governments started passing more restrictive laws to try to allow Black people to enter cities only to work and not to live. As people tried to find some way to live closer to the places they worked, squatter camps were established around the perimeters of cities. And of course, those camps were then targeted by white communities who did not want them to be there. The all-white National Party came to power in South Africa after the 1948 election. And while segregation and other forms of discrimination had existed in South Africa since the start of colonization... It was this party that implemented the set of laws that came to be known as apartheid. These built on existing laws and systems of discrimination, including ones that we have not discussed in this episode, because there were so many, we would just read a list if we tried to get into them all. Yeah, some of the biggest laws that were passed after the National Party came to power, this is a, an overview, there was the Prohibition of Mixed Marriages Act that was passed in 1949. It prohibited marriages between white people and people of any other racial group. 
the Population Registration Act of 1950 legally classified anyone in South Africa as Black, white, or colored. Initially, Asians were included in the colored group, but they were separated out into their own category of Indian later on. The Group Areas Act of 1950 outlined where people of different races could live with people who were in the wrong places forced to move. And again, with more than 80% of South Africa designated for whites only. The Bantu Authorities Act of 1951 established so-called homelands for Black South Africans with those homelands given a purportedly independent status. But anybody who moved into one of those homelands lost their South African citizenship and any rights and privileges that went along with it. The African National Congress and the South African Indian Congress started a campaign of coordinated civil disobedience in response to these and other laws, known as the Defiance Campaign for the Defiance of Unjust Laws. That was launched on June 26, 1952, with volunteers doing things like intentionally using whites-only facilities and being arrested and jailed as a result. Women were part of the defiance campaign. The ANC had started to allow women as members in 1943, and the ANC Women's League had been established in 1948. Then, in addition to the laws we just mentioned and others, there was the Natives Abolition of Passes and Coordination of Documents Act of 1952. This repealed earlier pass laws that were still on the books, and it introduced a new standardized passbook that all Black men would be required to carry. Requiring only Black men to carry papers would have been discriminatory on its own, but this passbook also went way beyond something like a passport or a basic ID. It contained the person's photograph and information about where they were from, but it also included unemployment record, tax records, fingerprints, and police records. In addition to these requirements, this law also required Black people to get a permit if they wanted to move, and anybody arriving in a city to try to find work had to have a permit within 72 hours of getting there. Initially, this act applied only to Black men, but a lot of Black women also lived and worked in cities or otherwise needed to move around South Africa for their lives and their work. The Native Laws Amendment Act, which was also passed in 1952, had further tightened requirements on where non-white people were allowed to live and work, and its terms exempted women who met specific criteria from needing to carry passes. But in many cities and towns, local authorities started requiring them anyway. This started mainly in the Western Cape, where the government had established a restrictive, quote, colored preference area with strict controls on who could enter and who could live there. So in addition to the other work they were doing with the Defiance Campaign, women in South Africa were pushing back on the requirements for women to carry passes. On January 4th, 1953, hundreds of people protested in Cape Town. Dora Tamana of the AMC Women's League gave a speech that said in part, quote, we women will never carry these passes. This is something that touches my heart. I appeal to you young Africans to come forward and fight. These passes make the road even narrower for us. We have seen unemployment, lack of accommodation, and families broken because of passes. We have seen it with our men. 
Who will look after our children when we go to jail for a small technical offense, not having a pass? Tamana was also part of the Federation of South African Women when it was established in 1954. Other founders included Amina Kachalia, Lillian Ngoy, Ray Simons, and Helen Joseph. The leaders of the Federation of South African Women came from all of South Africa's racial groups, and it was meant to be an organization for all women of all races with goals related to equality regardless of sex and equality regardless of race. The Federation of South African Women held its first conference in Johannesburg on April 17, 1954. A women's charter that was drafted at the conference began with this preamble, quote, We, the women of South Africa, wives and mothers, working women and housewives, African, Indians, European, and colored, hereby declare our aim of striving for the removal of all laws, regulations, conventions, and customs that discriminate against us as women and that deprive us in any way of our inherent right to the advantages, responsibilities, and opportunities that society offers to any one section of the population. The Charter then walks through an overview of the state of affairs in South Africa, including its systems of discrimination and poverty and the loss of social structures in African and Asian communities, which had been dismantled through colonization. It also noted that the women of South Africa were legally treated as minors with little access to education or support. This charter also outlined a set of aims. They were, quote, the right to vote and to be elected to all state bodies without restriction or discrimination, the right to full opportunities for employment with equal pay and possibilities of promotion in all spheres of work, equal rights with men in relation to property, marriage, and children, and for the removal of all laws and customs that deny women such equal rights, for the development of every child through free compulsory education for all, for the protection of mother and child through maternity homes, welfare clinics, creches, and nursery schools in countryside and towns, through proper homes for all, and through the provision of water, light, transport, sanitation, and other amenities of modern civilization, for the removal of all laws that restrict free movement, that prevent or hinder the right of free association and activity in democratic organizations, and the right to participate in the work of these organizations, to build and strengthen women's sections in the national liberatory movements, the organization of women in trade unions, and through the people's varied organization, to cooperate with all other organizations that have similar aims in South Africa as well as throughout the world, to strive for permanent peace throughout the world. In 1955, a multiracial group of people and organizations met in Cliptown at the Congress of the People. The Freedom Charter that was drafted at this Congress incorporated the aims from the Women's Charter. We will talk about how the 1956 protest that was coordinated by a lot of these same women evolved after a sponsor break. 
I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business, and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels has a stay for any traveler you want to be with 22 brands and over 7,400 locations. Whether you're a business traveler, a family road tripper, someone who wants to seek out history and maybe make your own, or just planning a quick getaway, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Like a Cambria Hotel, where you can be a cocktail connoisseur and sip locally inspired craft beverages at downtown locations in the center of it all. This is a fun way to visit cities with a lot of history and a lot of fun in mind. Or a Radisson Hotel for all our productivity powerhouses out there. With flexible workspaces and on-site restaurants, you'll get the most out of your work trip. You'll get the coffee, the Wi-Fi, and the work done. And we can't forget about comfort hotels. Imagine you're a family road tripper, waking up in your big spacious room and then heading down to a free hot breakfast for the entire family, including waffles. So you'll be well-fed and ready for the day's adventure, even if that's just relaxing. After that, you're spending all afternoon relaxing by the pool. You deserve it. What are you waiting for? Join Choice privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you. Book directly at choicehotels.com where travels come true. Looking to part ways with complicated, expensive, and uncertain shipping? Then give your business the edge it needs with USPS Ground Advantage Shipping from the United States Postal Service. Keep everything simple with clear upfront pricing and no unexpected surcharges. Keep things affordable with some of the lowest prices out there. And keep it all reliable with on-time ground shipments. It's time to turn shipping to your advantage. Learn how at USPS.com advantage. USPS Ground Advantage. Simple, affordable, reliable. As soon as national, provincial, and local governments in South Africa started requiring that women carry passes, women started refusing to do it, including refusing to even have a pass issued to them. And Winburg Orange Free State employers personally escorted Black employees to the pass office, telling them that they were just being issued papers that would allow them to travel freely once people realized what was really going on, women in Winburg organized a march to the magistrate's court and burned their passes publicly. On March 27, 1955, about 2,000 women of all races marched to the union buildings in Pretoria, which are the seat of the South African government, to protest the pass laws. 
After this, the Federation of South African Women started planning a larger protest march, one that would again involve women of all races. This was the march that took place on August 9, 1956. This was a Thursday, chosen because Black domestic workers had Thursdays off, and organizers wanted as many women as possible to be able to attend. Women who didn't live in Pretoria arrived in the area the night before, and on the 9th, they walked to the union buildings in groups of two and three because non-white people were not permitted to gather in large groups. Somewhere between 10,000 and 20,000 women ultimately arrived at the union buildings, and it took two and a half hours to get everyone inside the area where the protest was taking place. Many women had their children with them or the children that they were paid to care for. Some were dressed in their domestic uniforms, some in traditional clothing. There was a really broad spectrum of ethnicity, race, and class represented. Leaders of the march included Rahima Musa, Lillian Goy, Helen Joseph, and Sophia Williams. At the age of 18, Williams was the youngest of the march leaders, and she later married and became Sophia Williams de Brain. The leaders of the march had a petition with about 14,000 signatures, which they were going to present to Prime Minister J.G. Stratum. This petition read, quote, We, the women of South Africa, have come here today. We African women know too well the effect of this law upon our homes, our children. We who are not African women know how our sisters suffer. For to us, an insult to African women is an insult to all women. That homes will be broken up when women are arrested under past laws. That women and young girls will be exposed to humiliation and degradation at the hands of past-searching policemen. That women will lose their right to move freely from one place to another. We, voters and voteless, call upon your government not to issue passes to African women. We shall resist until we have won for our children their fundamental rights of freedom, justice, and security. A group of representatives who tried to enter the union buildings were also turned away because they were integrated. March leader Lillian Goy was quoted as saying, quote, The women of Africa are outside. They built this place, and their husbands died for this. Although the plan had been to present this petition to the prime minister, he and his staff had left the building. So once some of the women were finally allowed inside, they left piles of signed petitions outside his office. In the end, the assembled women stood outside the union buildings in silence for half an hour. Before leaving, they also sang a freedom song. Part of it translates to, when you strike a woman, you strike a rock. This became a slogan for women's liberation in South Africa, sometimes followed by subsequent lines that are translated as, you have dislodged a boulder, you will be crushed. A little choked up. Those are great. <laughs> uh, it's a slogan that still shows up on uh, on posters and pr- at protests and things, both in South Africa and elsewhere. So this march did not lead to an end to pass requirements for women. But women's activism did influence when and how those laws were enforced. For the most part, enforcement started in more rural areas where fewer of the women were organized, and there wasn't as much of a social support network for resisting the laws. From there, enforcement rolled out to bigger towns and cities, with enforcement starting in Johannesburg in 1958. However, this march was a turning point in the movement for women's liberation in South Africa and for women's involvement in the fight against apartheid. As we mentioned earlier, 
women had been part of this from the beginning, but the African National Congress had only started allowing women as full members in 1943. This 1956 march was the largest demonstration that the Federation of South African Women had coordinated up to that point, so this made women's ongoing political involvement just that much more visible. And that involvement was carried on through a campaign of civil disobedience, with women refusing to carry passes and facing arrest as a result. So many women did this in Johannesburg that the jail became seriously overcrowded. But this also led to concerns within the ANC about how to pay for the legal fees of the arrested women. Ultimately, the ANC ended the formal anti-pass disobedience campaign for this reason. The leaders of the march also faced consequences. I mean, everybody who was doing this work was doing so at risk to their life and the lives of their families. In 1956, 156 people in South Africa were tried for treason. This included marchers and organizers Helen Joseph, Lillian Ngoy, Bertha Mashaba, and Francis Bard, among others. Although all the defendants in that trial were found not guilty, it lasted until 1961, and it was an intentionally traumatizing experience for the people facing trial. Some of the defendants, including Nelson Mandela, were tried for treason a second time in 1963 and 64, and that time convicted. Although the Women's March to Pretoria was peaceful, later demonstrations against apartheid became violent. In 1959, authorities in Durban started trying to enforce pass laws and to stop women from brewing and selling beer. This led to a series of riots in 1960 in which nine police officers were killed. Then on March 21st, 1960, police opened fire during a demonstration against pass laws in Sharpville, killing at least 69 people and wounding almost 200 more. This became known as the Sharpeville Massacre, and it simultaneously raised international awareness and criticism of apartheid conditions in South Africa, and it also led the government to crack down further on the anti-apartheid movement. Afterward, the government banned both the African National Congress and the Pan-Africanist Congress and imprisoned many of their leaders or forced them into exile. Resistance to apartheid and violent response to that resistance continued for years. In 1976, the government made the study of Afrikaans mandatory in schools, and in response, the South African Students' Movement began coordinating protests among children. On June 16, 1976, thousands of children took part in a protest march that was met by police who fired live ammunition and tear gas at them. This led to an uprising in which hundreds of people were killed the international community responded with increasing restrictions and sanctions against South Africa. Apartheid laws in South Africa finally began to be dismantled in the 1980s. The Natives' Abolition of Passes and Coordination of Documents Act of 1952 was repealed in 1986. South African President F.W. de Klerk called for a total end to apartheid after being elected in 1989. He repealed the bans on anti-apartheid organizations and allowed exiled political leaders to return to South Africa. An interim constitution was drawn up in 1993, and in 1994, South Africa held its first non-racial democratic election. On August 9, 1995, the Women's Day holiday was observed in South Africa for the first time. And all of August is observed as Women's Month. 
A reenactment of the march was held for its 50th anniversary in 2006, with many of the original marchers participating. Today, annual Women's Day observances in South Africa often include reflections on how far things have come and how far they still have to go. For example, I watched recordings of a lot of Women's Day speeches from 2021, and they included things like an ongoing epidemic of gender-based violence in South Africa and how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected women. Do you have a little listener mail? I do. I have listener mail. It's about another serious episode of the show, but uh, not an email that I would call upsetting in any way. Uh, This is from Robin. Robin wrote, Holly and Tracy, I just listened to your episode about the Holodomor. It meant a lot to me. I live in Alberta, which, as you noted, has a huge Ukrainian population. I had not known that or much Ukrainian history when I moved here, so it's been a fun learning curve for me. I grew up in the States and have been listening to you two since shortly before I moved. I really love how Alberta continues to honor uh, honor is spelled with a U, and so then Robin has in parentheses. Since moving here, I've adopted most Canadian spellings. I even say Z, not Z these days. Uh, so to return to how uh, Alberta has has honored Ukraine, um, I thought I would share a couple of the cool things in my area that mark this historic connection. City Hall in Edmonton has the first public monument in Canada remembering the Holodomor. I don't think the picture does it justice. I still remember being struck by it the first time I saw it. A town in eastern Alberta has a giant pisanka. Uh, That is a Ukrainian Easter egg. Um, And there's an article that Robin included that says, uh, this assumes that you know that the Yellowhead is part of the Cross Canada Highway. And so the link is to an article at Wikipedia Uh, that's about this gigantic structure of one of these eggs, and it really is very beautiful and striking. The thing that the invasion brought to light was the historic connections between Ukrainian immigrants and First Nations people. Here's an article about that from APTN, an indigenous news source. Uh, And the article that is linked is about uh, Ukrainian and First Nations women coming together through scarves that are related to each of these two different groups. So um, all of that is so interesting. And then Robin says, I'm including a picture of our new puppy because everyone deserves cute puppy pictures. He is the goodest boy. This is a very fluffy chocolate brown dog with a little chocolate brown nose and chocolate brown eyes. And I want to pet pet this very fluffy fur. (laughs) Uh, So thank you, Robin, for this email and these links. I had never seen any of these things before. I had seen those Easter eggs, but I didn't notice the, I didn't know the name of them. So that was all very cool. So um, if anyone else would like to send us an email, we're at historypodcast at iheartradio.com. We're all over social media at Missed in History. That's where you'll find our Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and Instagram. And you can subscribe to our show on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year 
Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and I'm a journalist. Join me on my new podcast, But We Loved, where queer elders recount the amazing history they've lived through. In the middle of Wall Street, they stopped traffic. They were doing a die-in. And in the process, share little gems of wisdom for the next generation. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. You can listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.